Welcome to Acro Capital's in-house podcast, where we have guests in the startup scene from all over Africa. This episode, we have a really special guest, Tommy Davies. We don't cover nearly all the things he's done and the initiatives he's part of in the interview, so here's an overview for you. Tommy is a Nigerian-British investor, speaker, author, entrepreneur, philanthropist, and advisor to technology companies. As an advisor, he has outstanding experience building large-scale technology-enabled systems in the US, Europe, and Africa, gained from a variety of executive leadership roles with global brands including Ernst & Young, Marks & Spencer, Elf Aquitaine, Sapient, and the One Laptop Per Child Project. As a speaker, he has delivered more than 100 keynote speeches all over the world, and as an angel investor, he co-founded the Lagos Angel Network, is president of the African Business Angel Network, and is a board member of the World Business Angels Forum and the Global Business Angels Network, and invests in startups through his accelerator, TVC Labs, based in Lagos, Nigeria. For more info or to reach out, check out TommyDavies.com. And with his extensive bio done, I bring you Tommy Davies. Could you take us a little bit through your background and how you came to be an angel investor and where you, how you got to this point? Uh, yeah, well, my background is actually in technology, uh, where I started life in oil and gas. Then I went into retail um, before going into consulting with uh, Ernst & Young. And finally, uh, I headed back to Nigeria, my home country, which is actually where my angel investing stint began with um, a small investment in a fantasy league soccer comic. Um, Subsequent to that, um, a young man came up with the idea of what we now call pharmacovigilance, which is essentially helping um, to make sure that drugs aren't counterfeited by attaching small codes to them that those who are buying can actually send a free SMS and discover whether the drug they're buying is genuine or fake. Fantastic. That uh, is called, yeah, that's called Sproxil. And how, how long um, ago was this? Sorry? How, how long ago was how that? Long, uh, Striker was in 2001. Sproxil was about eight years later, 2008. Okay, fantastic. Um, I, all the time, I didn't even know it was called Angel Investing. It wasn't it until way after Sproxil, yeah. uh, when I'd done my third investment in a company called Slim Trader, that I happened upon David Rose of the New York Angels and um, Candice Johnson of the European Business Angel Network, and things started to happen. So that's sort of how I ended up in Angel Investing. Fantastic. Um, yeah, back then it wasn't, it wasn't a special, it didn't have a special name. It wasn't so cool, you know, it was just investing, you know. Um, wow. But um, I, I want to ask you about being an international angel because you invest in Africa, but you're based in the UK, no? Uh, my, my wife would argue different. <laughs> okay. Because, um, so, for example, this is, I've been in Lagos now for 107 days since COVID began. You invest in businesses in Africa mostly, huh? In Nigeria specifically, yes. Lagos. So, so that means that, that you have to sort of go on a lot. Um, you have to go on the data sometimes, m- much more than meeting the founder and everything. Do you meet every founder that you invest in? Yes. You have to have a, um, a, a in-person meeting? Yes. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would agree with that. I think that's it's very important, the, the person that you're investing in. Um, so... 
Do you think that international angels have a higher risk tolerance, you know, because of the exchange rate? And do you think this is really good for the African startup scene? Uh, no, it, it's actually, it, it is actually a commercial proposition. And the way we encourage international angels to invest is to co-invest with local angels. Okay. That's the highest form of de-risking. So you're not actually taking the risk alone. You're taking with somebody who's on ground to look over the shoulders of the startup. Okay, fantastic. Yeah. Um, founders in, in African countries are likely to meet overseas investment or get overseas investment through those local people, right? Uh, yes. And in some cases, even directly. I'm in constant touch with founders. That's what I hear from the best investors. You know, they, they answer most emails, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you're the co-founder of um, LAN, the Lagos Angel Network, and president That's of the correct. of ABAN, African Business yeah. Angel Network. Um, could you tell us about those a bit? Yeah. Um, well, like I said, I started Angel. I didn't know it was called it then. I started Angel Investing in the early 2000s. Um, and then after I lost a shitload of money, I <laughs> discovered that it was called angel investing and I had to start studying what it was all about and learning it. Um, thank you, David Rose for your book, angel investing, yeah. which became my Bible, um, for that period. Um, and inside David's book, he says, you know, angels are best in groups. So it was like, okay, we've got to form a group. Um, and that gave birth to the Lagos Angel Network in 2012. There were five of us that started uh, the network. Um, but we continued investing, trying to invest and trying to do stuff. Um, and then in 2014, we tried to do a cross-border investment that failed woefully. So uh, a year later, when Candice Johnson invited us over to Helsinki, and asked us to start the Africa Business Angel Network, it was really pushing against an open door. And that's how ABAN was born. There were five networks on the continent when ABAN was born. Um, in March of this year, um, I had the privilege of actually presiding over the launch of the 49th Angel Network on the continent in the 33rd country. Yeah, okay, so it's grown quite a bit. Hmm. The difference between ABAN and LAN um, is the fact that LAN is actually a network of investors. Uh, ABAN is actually a network of networks. It's the trade association for angel networks, as we jokingly say, but it's focused on identifying and educating angel investors, um, helping them form angel groups, and then advocating angel investment as a development asset class to policymakers on the continent. Fantastic. So it's like, a, it's like an accelerator for angels. Correct. Fantastic. You know, working at Acro, I can really, I think that's a fantastic idea, you know, because um, it's really, it helps the ecosystem so much, you know. Um, yeah. It helps everything, you know, helps um, raise the standards all around, you know. So um, what's your main focus as an angel? And how would you describe your, your style of angel investing? Style. Hmm. That's an interesting one. Uh, well, I, I look for technology-enabled innovation. That's that's really what you know where my personal sweet spot is. So I look for technology-enabled innovation in the essential areas, so food and agriculture, health and education, 
you know, that kind of stuff. I look for market platforms to especially tied to mobility or logistics um, when they're doing supply chain. And um, my latest, which is really caught my fancy, is what I call SME enablers. Um, SMEs are sort of the backbone of the continent's economy and anything, any technology enablement that's addressing them, I think is, is really, really something worth uh, looking at, whether it's fintech, B2B services, or even software as a service. And you're agnostic when it comes to backing certain types and certain, um, and, and, and say black founders versus any, anything, any other founders? No, uh, I prefer African founders who are solving African problems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, definitely. That, that is my, my focal point. Of course, so yeah. I look for a strong founding team with the relevant backgrounds. And ideally, they should have been together for at least a couple of years. Definitely. Um, yeah. Because yeah. when it falls apart, you know, you have to know that person. You have to be able to speak. Be, exactly. Yeah, you have to be able to speak, to be, to speak honestly. Um, so if you were giving advice to aspiring angels, um, what does the average day look like for you? And, and what should an average day look like eventually once you've made it as an angel investor? Uh, <laughs> that's, uh, hmm. it's different every day. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if there's any such thing as an average day. Yeah. I can tell you some of the things that in any given month as an angel investor, you're going to, that is going to hit your agenda. How often or, um, uh, when is it's a totally it's a it's it's a personality thing. It depends on one the size of your portfolio, two how advanced you are with your angel investing, and three the appetite you actually have to engage. But normally in 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 a, in in that kind of period, first of all I I have a mentees group, so I mentor entrepreneurs. So they take a fair bit of my time. Um, and I enjoy, actually enjoy mentoring them because these are sort of pre-seed type entrepreneurs. Um, as they mature from that level uh, to sort of become invest, investment ready, I provide, I provide them with advisory services, which, um, which helps them along the way to get the funding. And then I also have my own existing portfolio where I'm supporting, providing guidance and direction to the founders on that one. Um, in addition, I chair quite a number of organizations, so that sort of affects my day-to-day -day also. We just talked about Avan and LAN. There's also the Innovation Support Network and the Dashboard Angel Network, just to name a few. Um, yeah, I've heard about... I, I want to know how, um, how engaged are you with founders and how, can they call you for... Like, are, are certain, do certain founders, can they call you for anything really? Like, do you, because in a startup, things hit the wall all the time, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And it's almost a guarantee. That's what we tell people at Acro, um, our cohorts. We say, like, you will have to deal with lawsuits at some point. You know, you have to deal with, you know, founder blowups together. Like, it's going to happen. You know what I mean? Well, not always, but you might as well get ready for it, you know? Um, Scandal. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, do you have you had sort of founders like call you when they're like um like you know like breaking down in the shower you know what i mean like um calling you up and saying i, I don't know what to do like i just don't know how to continue you know oh yeah that happens all the time yeah i think people don't uh, don't talk about that you know that they don't I've, I've had i mean what do you let me let me the worst that's ever happened to me 
is an amazing startup, four co-founders. Okay, um, they were growing what I think that one month they were at forty-two percent month month on month growth. Yeah, but they were averaging about twenty percent month on month growth, doing amazingly well. I get a call four a.m. one morning saying the lead co-founder is dead. Wow, twenty-six years old. Wow, wow. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't get any worse than that no, i no, tell you that's the worst definitely. okay yeah i've i've had situations where two co-founders had such a bad fight one took off and actually left the country wow yeah i think this is a real like to have someone older experience to lean on in these times of crisis is really a value that, that angels can bring you know that's 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 exactly why I take the time to help people understand the difference between angel investing and venture capital. Definitely, yeah, yeah. Um, so how do you feel about this new age of sort of remote pitching and um, we've covered that you wouldn't invest in a founder just on the data, like you'd want to meet them as well. But um, the need for doing things remotely these days, obviously with COVID, um, is, is shifting the emphasis away from getting to know the founder and to more data-driven approach. Um, how do you feel about that? I, I, I feel very strongly I wouldn't do a deal where somebody in the syndicate didn't hasn't had personal interaction with the founder. I just wouldn't. Because, again, angel investing is like a marriage. There's a chemistry component to it that you can't underestimate. And that's what's going to save you when things really go all right. So, yes, I, I, would, I would invest without having met the founder. But that would be on the basis that somebody else who's investing has actually interacted and met the founder. Yeah, that's very valuable, yeah, to have a network, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so um, what do you feel, like, what should entrepreneurs go into if they want to make the biggest impact, you know? Education and agriculture. Uh, um, we're, growing, we're growing Africans faster than any other continent, so we're going to need to educate them. That's a massive, massive growth area, yeah. and we're going to need to feed them too. And, um, um, like, edu edutech wasn't a hot um, topic, you know, a couple of years ago, but now even in America, it's really, it's become a thing now, you know? Well, with COVID, it's not optional. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, our um, co-founder, Jason, um, started um, what was um, a very unsexy business in the beginning. And now it's turned into like, it's, it's not just, oh, education tech, you know, it's like, it's a big thing now. Um, so um, what are your, your favorite types of startup ideas? Do you like, um, do you like slow and steady? Or do you like moonshots? You know what I mean? Like, um it really, really, really depends. Um, I, I like high scalable business model with potential social impact, you know, something that's going to touch a million people a year. Then you've got my attention. Okay. You know, um, if you're talking of a fast growing addressable market, something people hadn't seen before, hey, wait a minute. Oh, wow. Well, yeah, those kind of things. Yes, very, very definitely. So do you feel like, um, um, as you've got older, you haven't um, gone away from sort of betting big, you know what I mean? Because I, I would expect a young person with lots of um, you know, potential to, for further capital appreciation um, would bet on moonshots every time, you know? Uh, well, I, I, I take angel investing as a profession, 
not as an art. Mm. So I apply science and math as much as I can and where possible. Um, so uh, I believe in David Rose's startup portfolio theory, uh, where it says it's a numbers game, but you've got to hedge. So each each single startup you invest in, you can't, you know, why, yes, you're going to consider your portfolio, you must be able to clearly see where the 20x is going to come from. And do you feel as you've, you know, made it become more of a, a successful angel investor, have you found that your risk tolerance has changed? Uh, yes, I've become, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I've tightened the gates, so to speak. Uh, their bets I would have taken historically, I wouldn't take now. <laughs> okay, yeah, I know. You get more discerning, you know. Mm. Um, That's the word. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so, okay, this is a more of a mushy topic. Um, what do you think is more important, sort of the idea or the team? Because often you find that an amazing team can start off with a subpar idea and then iterate until they find something amazing that sticks, you know? Well, I, I, I'm from the Derek Seaver school. And what Derek says is ideas are just a multiplier for execution. So no matter how great the idea is, if you don't have any execution, it's zero returns. Definitely. I mean, I, I agree with that from what I've read, you know, from what I've seen. But a brilliant execution of even a poor idea could still make you money. Definitely, yeah. Um, so, so founder traits. I mean, obviously, execution, execution, execution um, is great. Mm -hmm. But also, you need inspiration. You, or you need um, to be creative a bit. You, you need to. Um, how, how Peter Thiel puts it is, don't don't try and crowd. Don't try and push through the same door everyone else is pushing through because it might be a huge gate around the side. You can just go through. You know. Um, so how, how would you do that when you're looking at a founder or when you're looking at a, a startup? How do you do that sort of um, calculation? Like, what do you think? Well, you know, there's, there's certain things you look for. Um, and to borrow from my friend, uh, Kola, you know, founders, pla uh, uh, yeah, of Ventures platform, um, you know, there are some fundamental traits. So first of all, do they have any kind of curiosity? Are they receptive to feedback? Okay. Um, there's a very, very clear vision with a why. Um, are they a good storyteller? You know, um, do they have unique insights into what they're doing? Do they have technical skills, you know, any relevant experience? And most importantly, do they have the ability to lead? So these are some of the things, you know, you look for in your conversations and interactions with founders. Another topic which you know, is a little bit controversial. Like, how do you, um, what do you think the best way to learn entrepreneurship is? Should you sort of read up? Should you, should you know a lot before you start? Or should you just start and then confront the things along the way? Well, I believe, like everything else commercial, it's an iterative process. So you're going to do, do something. You're going to learn from it, okay? Um, and then you're going to do it again. Uh, and again and again until you get it right. Uh, most, not all, but most of the successful founders we found on the continent are serial entrepreneurs. So, but would you say someone, a young person wanting to be, knowing one day um, that they want to be an entrepreneur, they should um, 
study up, like read old books, you know what I mean? Or do you think just starting is better and learning on the job kind of thing, you know what I mean? Create, create the school news, newsletter and sell it. You know, make T-shirts and see if that'll sell. You know, get the experience early, okay? And learn the tricks of the trade and it'll serve you well. Yeah, and that's the kind of person you want to invest in, you know, someone who's always been what they are, an entrepreneur. Yeah, that's it. So would you ever would you invest in a tech startup or a startup that didn't have technical founders? Um, well, what other data point would you want to see uh, would, that would make you interested? interested? Uh, well, I, I, I said it earlier, you know, uh, technical skills is a critical one. You can't build, you're not going to build a technology company or any kind of company if you don't have technical skills. Of course, right. And of course, the relevant experience is also very important. So you'd want to see sort of at the minimum someone like the third founder being a coder, you know? Well, if you are a tech, I'd expect if there's three of you, at least one of you has a deep background in tech. So um, would you like to mention um, one of your portfolio companies, say, that you're especially proud of? Uh, yeah, well, there's, there's my Edutech, my Edutech uh, startup. Well, they're no longer a startup now. They're more like a grow-up because um, they grew, they've grown to a level where rather than exit, they are actually paying us dividends. Um, from the proceeds of the uh, of the of the profit of the company, and then more importantly, they started a foundation that is looking purely at impact uh, on on a, of education on the African continent. Um, I'm quite enamored by the work that um, Faiz Bashir and his team at Flexisav have done. Um, similarly, you have Ashifi Gogo, who runs Sproxil, and Sproxil have gone from being just with us uh, in Nigeria to where Sproxel is now in five countries, um, including, surprise, surprise, India, um, with a presence there. So when you look at the kind of work that has gone on into building these kind of organizations, it gives you hope that the next generation are prepared to build a better future for us as a continent. So... Um... This is a, a medium fire round of 10 questions. Um, which current developments give you hope for the future of, of humankind? Anything from stem cells to AI to environmental cleanup? Actually, it's not technology. It is actually a spirit um, of assertiveness and hope that I see in the youth on the African continent that is driving entrepreneurship on the continent. It is this can-do uh, attitude that I see from them, uh, in spite of all the odds, that gives me hope. Um, what's your favorite startup idea no one's done yet? A favorite startup idea that no one's done yet. Can, it can be crazy. Hmm. It can be really out there. Um, I, I, I'm still waiting for holographic imaging. <laughs> cool. So the ability to have 3D, 3D holographs interact with you. Uh, as in, I don't know if you ever watched Star Trek, but I, um, I, oh, sorry. I, I'm busy watching the first ever um, series. I, I'm on the second uh, season of the first ever original Star Trek, and it's really cool. Okay, there you go. So, you know, I'm still waiting for us to... My friend Peter Cochrane records we've still got 30 years before we can do materialize and dematerialize, but um, oh, yeah, wow, I, I, yeah. Like, <laughs> I believe holography. <laughs> yeah, holograms around the corner, yeah. Um, hmm. 
So could you name something you would advise early stage founders to cultivate early? Scrutiny of detail. Understand you understand all your paperwork, both financial and legal. What's the first good business book that comes to mind? The first good business book that comes to mind. If you're building a startup, it's Eric Lee's Lean Startup Machine. Intelligence or relentlessness? Relentlessness, any day. What's the best piece of advice you've received? Stephen Covey is one of my favorite people. You know, um, and usually it's one of his quotes, begin with the end in mind. If you weren't involved in startup land, what would you be doing? Tap dancing. <laughs> Elon or Bezos? Elon. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you could have any three founders, dead or alive, over for dinner, who would they be? If I could have any three founders, dead or alive, I'd want to meet Mansa Kankan Musa. I would want to meet, um, oh my God, Thomas, Thomas, Thomas Watson, who started IBM, and then Bill Gates. Fantastic. Is there anything else we should cover that you want to mention? Well, yes, just one thing, and that is over the years, I've developed a framework that I use for commercial analysis and commercial assessments. It's called the POEM framework. And what the POEM framework says is simply that all commercial enterprise are bound on two edges. That is, it is an organization delivering a proposition. And they are measured on two axes, economically by money and activity over time. So those are the two measures for the two constructs that make up any commercial enterprise. So the proposition is delivered by the organization, both of which are measured economically by milestones. And that is the POEM framework, P-O-E-M. For every business, there's a poem. Thank you for listening. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. My pleasure.